CabanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. How about that Pro Tour? Um, that's pretty amazing. I'm still kind of, you know, walloped by it. Walloped? So yeah, walloped. G1, you were yeah, knocked just, out of the sky. Just, yeah. <laughs> Boom! Yeah. <laughs> Or were you a blue I was, or a black I was, creature I was, I was definitely knocked out in the sky yeah. coming home. Yeah. Like, oh, let me watch some movies on this. So you liked how it ended, all that stuff? I was pretty happy. Like, yeah. I, I like uh, I like anytime someone I've interviewed in my column previously, yeah. before they have any real Pro Tour experience, goes on to win a Pro Tour. And so I've interviewed... Oh, like, validates your prediction capability? I mean, not even, because, I mean, I just had to interview everyone who was in the mocks. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I still like having them in there, you know? I'm like, ah. Yeah, yeah right. you got there, right? I got there. That reminds me of a conversation I had with Josh Ravitz today, and he's just like, all right, predict me. I might play in PTU on Sunday. Oh, really? Yeah, you're, I mean... Are you doing the one in Jersey? I, I might just get, like, last-minute permiso from the wife. I'm wow. like, can I play in match room on Sunday? She's like... It's like, well, I'm not going to do blah, blah, blah with the kids. And I'm like, I don't know. What if I send my sister? She's like, oh, I don't know. I guess you play your card game or whatever. I'm, I'm actually not that far off from the cards <laughs> I need, actually. I don't own Pack Rat. I said I didn't own Pack Rat. I might have Pack Rat, too. I think I own every other card. We're, we're oh, you in... know what card I don't have? Bile Blight. But I, I own every other card I would play. How many Bile Blights do you need? I might, between one and four. My current main deck has one ultimate I think price. I, have, I think I have one in my bag. One Doom Blade, one Bile Blight, and one Last Breath, because I don't know which one is good. <laughs> so... Josh said he also has one last breath in his 75. He's like, he does not so you, are you telling me that after all this time, after this whole round of podcasts, you finally have just come around and are playing mono black? No, black white. Oh. My deck is Obsidat and Whip. Oh, okay. That's an acceptable strategy. Sure, right? no, and I'm sure it's fine. Um, yeah, but I probably is. Like, uh, anyway, um, so he, he's like, so pick me the metagame. I'm like, I think there's basically four decks. Mono blue, and then, like, number one mono blue, number two... Like black, uh, mono black slash black white. Number three, like uh, green red mons. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, blue white slash esper. Number four, green red. Here's, here's what you do. Yeah, you watch coverage. So there's gonna be video coverage from Grand Prix Melbourne this weekend. Yeah. Tune in early Friday, Saturday when everything. Pay attention to whatever Daniel Unwin, Justin Chung, and Jeremy Neiman are playing. Jeremy Neiman. Yeah, he's coming back. I mean, I'm sure he'll be playing it. I like Neiman. I do too. I think he was Paulo esque. Uh, just <laughs> watch whatever deck. I mean, you the, can't see the hand shapes I'm making. <laughs> they, Neiman uh, is, dude, that guy's a sweet and, deck and, designer. Well, actually, Unwin is all, is really kind of the sweet. It's like, he, like I'm giving Unwin Neiman does, all the credit. Unwin, I think, does the design and then Neiman tunes it. Oh, 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 so you're saying that that Neiman is more. Pierre Canali-esque, actually, is what you're trying to say. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm saying this, uh, these are the decks that I think, and Ravitz is like, and what makes you think that? I'm like, I don't know, a lifetime of correctly picking metagames? <laughs> He's like, well, that's not what the top eight of The Last Star City looked like. And I'm like, okay, let me tell you this. Why don't you dial it back two rounds and see who was winning then, and then a bunch of red-green players won their coin flips. Ta-da! <laughs> a top eight. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I didn't like how that Pro Tour finished out. Why not? Yeah. Canadian Mirror Match? What was that? Oh, shoot. This is exactly the wrong website to be <laughs> saying that. I was, I, was, I was super happy for Jacob Olson to get, get that far. I, I think he's uh, unbelievable. You know, I just have a, a ton of respect for the way he plays Magic. He's a hard worker, yeah. He's just a hard... Yeah, I was like, so 
you know, what, you know, I was like talking to him, like, what'd you do getting here? And he's like, you know, what was your preparation? Played a lot of Delvers. He's just like, well, you know, we got here this day and then we did this and then I found my deck and then I just play tested it 12 hours a day. Josh Hunter Layton style. Yeah. You know, just like 12 hours. So you're claiming he's Josh Hunter Layton's protege. Uh, I mean, when he won Grand Prix Chicago, he was playing Josh Hunter Layton 75 card list. Played Josh Hunter Layton in the finals. Uh, when I was talking to Luis Scott Vargas about Jacob this weekend, he was sort of you equating know, him as he, the, the Paul Rietzel to uh, Josh Hunter Layton's Darwin Castle. He sort of, yes, yes, the little uh, the Jacob Rabinowitz Wilson. <laughs> wow, to wow, going deep. To, you just got to remind me of the time you Josh you ruined, Hunter Layton Humphreys. You ruined my surprise value on Jacob Rabinowitz. I'm sorry you didn't make twelfth place in that pizza queue. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I blame that, you. I'm really sorry that it was seventeenth place in the pizza queue for you because of this. Yeah, sorry about that, Brian. Um, um, yeah, for no, those of you who don't know. Jacob oh, no. Rabinovitz uh, used to be called Little Humphreys, so yeah, like, Paul Rietzel Dar- used Paul to be Rietzel called Little Darwin. Little Darwin. So back then, people considered Pro Tour Hall of Famer Darwin Castle to be a better player than than Paul Rietzel. Uh, I mean, Paul Rietzel's obviously going to eclipse Darwin at some point if he hasn't already. Well, I mean, not in uh, numbers, but I think certainly in ability, in terms of the ability to play. Well, I mean, Paul's at the, at this level still of the grinding right at a massive yeah. level, and you know, Darwin's largely retired despite being in the Hall of Fame. Um, but anyway, so uh, we were playing at a PTQ, and I was talking to Little Humphreys about how clever we were in our in our uh, in our deck design, where we had uh, tainted. What's the name of the green tainted land? Tainted whatever the tainted green woodland. Land. <laughs> yeah, tainted wood, I think. And uh, land of war wastes. Sounds, uh, tainted wood sounds terrible. Tainted wood. That's like the Osip Lebedovich land. Tainted wood. Yeah. Um, so we only had tainted wood and uh, land of war wastes uh, as our land. So people couldn't submerge us. And which is like awesome, right? Because we have all the advantage of having green and a green black deck, but we don't get submerged. And the, the blue green player is like, oh, I'm going to tempo them out. And they think they're so smart with their pernicious deed, but I'm going to submerge their stupid green creature. So then um, they're going to game three, is it? Yeah. So you, you split games with uh, with Little Hump in the in the first two. And then you're going into game three and like Little Hump's like, oh, man, my submerges were so bad in game two. He's like, oh, is BDM playing the same deck as Flores? He took out his submerges and defeated you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Brian got like 17th place in here. Instead if, of ninth. If, yeah. if only. <laughs> Anywho, um, that's the reason why he's he's been holding this over my head no, for ten years it's now. Just bad operations. It is bad, bad operations. operations. We should never talk to anyone or make friends with anyone <laughs> at a magic tournament. Correct. You think I didn't know that? You think Dave Price didn't teach me that in 1997? I'm like, huh? Are you Dave Price? He said, like, listen, kid. I didn't come to this PTQ to make friends. <laughs> he literally said that right? to me. And yet, somehow, he always made friends. Uh, and, in fact, made friends with me. Yeah. Okay. Back to Magic. Perhaps he was using you to repel other people from becoming his friends. Um, he was very effective in, <laughs> in that regard. Do you, know how many, do you know how many Grand Prix top eights I cost Dave Price in one year? I don't know. It's like innumerable. So what would happen is Dave Price and I would go to Grand Prix. Dave would, of course, go XO on day one. Then I'd be like, all right, Dave, time to go drinking. (laughs) And then he would like burn out on day two. Then there was the one time we went to Grand Prix Seattle and Dave didn't even go XO on day one. He only went X and one. But he's like, Mike, I'm sick. We can't we can't go out. I I got to like sleep. I'm like, all right, party pooper. And then. He top four that one. We're like, oh my god, Dave, if we had discovered this earlier in the year, <laughs> what would your year have been like? Remember he had like all those ninths and like yeah. um, Tim McKenna was like, 
you can only have so many ninths in big events before you're like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be a professional magic player. But <laughs> <laughs> he was like one of the best players in the world. Sure. So. Yeah, I mean, he, he was he was certainly the, you know, what, what I think you view like the, the Patrick Sullivans and the, you know, people who are just like, and the Paul Rietzels, like he's the prototype for that player. I mean... I don't want to say anything against Patrick Sullivan, who's one of my favorite human beings, but I, Patrick Sullivan is no different. No, 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 no. But <laughs> I'm just talking about people who are able to figure out how to get exactly 20 damage in just before your their opponent. I don't think of Paul that way at all. I think Paul's more of an over-the-top player. Dave, Dave and Patrick, for sure. Those guys can squeeze water and blood out of a rock. Watch, well, you but, gotta watch. You gotta watch Paul play a yeah. lot more to, to see. The games it's, Paul wins, his opponents always look helpless. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just completely serious. Like they're just always like looking at their hands, like Josh Rabbit. So like, all hands. <laughs> like, while Paul Rietzel's got like some combination of step links and hero of oxen ridge like, coming at the same time. True yeah. or false? The only player is like Paul Rietzel's like opening draws like hmm, Cavern of Souls for vampire cat. <laughs> vampire cat. <laughs> vampire cat. <laughs> Oh, there's Paul Rietzel right there on your on your uh, on your Twitter. Anyway, um, the uh, the uh, the Pro Tour in Valencia. I, I didn't like how it went. Really? Tom, yeah, Tom Martell sat on my lap the week before on like yeah. Wednesday or whatever. And the last time he did that before a Pro Tour, top, he won it. it takes and then he drew into twenty fifth. He should have just kept because he's like, I'm down a game. The guy wants to draw with me, and I'm about to mulligan draw. I'm like, no, and I was like, magic lap, brother. Magic was, freaking it was, lap. It was really brutal for him. He like, started off like... Two and three. Yeah. Two and three. Uh, got himself to five and three at the end of day one. And I was like, okay, I just have to like have an eight-phase plan where I just have to win all my remaining matches. But he forgot about magic lap. He won a little bit, then he got his fourth loss. And then, by all accounts, fourth loss is out. But it wasn't. But it wasn't. Yeah, one player. There was only one player in the whole Magic tournament. Lab. Who won 10-4. and four. But it was, it, was pretty, it was pretty crazy. I mean, great. I mean, I got to tell you. I mean, an imp- incredible finish by him to, like, just to Yeah, he's one together. of the best players in the world. He's the, I mean, oh, is there oh, even any argument that he's the best constructed player in the world? Owen Turtwald is the argument that people will present on that team. They're... Yeah, Owen, those guys Owen, are really good. Both yeah, they will say Owen. But I mean, if you had to pick three guys on that team to represent Planet Earth, you would just pick you would just pick the 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 Peach Garden Oath, right? Sure. Because they would like throw themselves on their swords to save each other or something. Like you can't really imagine John Finkel being like, "Well, I like Huey, <laughs> but let's be honest." You know? But Reed would be like, "No, Owen, I will not let you go into danger alone." Right? Let me. Whoosh my hair like Charlie's Angels 2, full throttle, as I charge into battle on a white horse. This is taking a weird turn. Oh, we're talking about the Peach Garden Open. <laughs> These are not three regular Magic players. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, True yeah, or course, false? Of course. Um, They're got, they've got like one hip that they're all attached it was, it was to. It's kind of insane when you look at, uh, I was doing an article today, we were talking about like the U.S. national team. Yeah. Like potential who's going to be Can it be just captain. be the Peach Garden Oath? Well... The thing is, like, of the seven players who are all within ten points of the lead for U.S. National Champion this year, six of them are Pantheon players. Six out of seven? Six out of seven. Is is Raptor the the No, Josh McLean is. Josh McLean? Yeah, he just finished top 16. Of all the Joshes you could pick, that's not the one I would have said. (laughs) Yeah, Josh McLean is 
is the one player in there who's not. It's like Martell, and it's Owen, and it's Sam. So six out of seven is the City of Traders, and then... Uh, and then is it all Peach Garden Oath in the top six? Uh, the whole Peach Garden. No, I don't think Huey's in yet. I don't think I think Huey's a couple points. Oh, it. stupid Josh McClain in his top sixteen. If it was like two weeks ago, I'm sure <laughs> Huey has like a sweet year, right? Yeah. I mean, for anybody else, it would be a sweet year. But if when you're the best drafter in the world and a Hall of Famer, like not really enough wins, yeah. right? Did you, watch, did you watch Huey's draft at all? I didn't. I didn't. It I was, only watched the construction. It was rounds. so. It was such. Like as a Huey fan, it was just so frustrating. Like he did everything right. Like he didn't do, he didn't make any mistakes. Like he opens his pack, he takes like a red card, he takes like a bolt, bolt of Karanos, mm. three damage, scry one. Yeah, yeah. Takes next pick, kind of weak pack, takes like a, I don't know, like some kind of like red Eidolon type creature. I like that guy. Yeah, it takes a good, I mean, a good creature, it takes another good red card, fourth pick, gets past the crow and sky guard. That's the that's mini big, That's a big signal. It's a right? huge signal, right? He's like, holy crap. Holy so crap. would you go to fifteen lands red white? Is that the? <laughs> I mean, or sixteen lands red white, or whatever. But you, so he's like, he's like, boom! I'm in, I'm in white, and he takes it. He gets past a loyal Pegasus. Well, he's, these are just the cards right, you want. That's exactly the cards he wants, and he's just like, this is insane. What happened? The, the cards. Is it just doofuses? Like, or? There, were, there were a tons of people. Three. There were four. I think four. A crow and sky guards opened in that pack. Oh, so it's, the table. it's and, deep white, and, and one guy, gets... and one guy didn't. One guy was like, nope. Not me. Not no nonconformist. <laughs> One guy, and then like everything just went crazy. I mean, his deck ended up really good. His deck ended up as well as you could expect it to. He got like a third pick phalanx leader in the third pack, and but who so were you cheering for going in? Big cheer, cheers. Uh, I was cheering for you. I was cheering for Jacob Wilson. I had him on my list of players that I thought was going to be really big this year. Uh, I always cheer for Ari Lax. I want to see him get his first top eight. I was cheering. Uh, for... I was cheering for Mihara. And Shota Yasuoka. Why would you cheer for those guys? T T R G R much? Yeah, I mean, well, I want to. I seriously, I, 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 I need to have justification why you right, would cheer for Miyara or Yasuoka. Here's why. Here's why. Because I think that the Japanese players don't get enough attention from Hall of Fame voters, and I feel like Mahara might ludicrous. need might need one more top eight to convince people. Well, I certainly didn't vote for him. <laughs> See, <laughs> and he's gotten one more top eight since you didn't vote for him. Okay. You know how many Japanese players I voted for over the years? I know. I mean, like, I know. he's just not on my list. He, I would have voted for you're Saito. Gonna, you're going to vote for him this year. I need to look at the list. He's got his fifth top eight. Five top eights. It took, it took more than that for me to vote for Anton. <laughs> I eventually voted for Anton. It cost Saito his vote. But <laughs> um, so did you see Saito and I were, like, talking on Twitter. He's like, he's like, I didn't even know this was you on Twitter. How is that possible that you didn't know this was me? I'm the most prolific Twitter person. Lifetime. And he's just like, I'll, you know. Yeah. I wish no. I could vote for Saito. Could, could he get some top eights so I can vote for him? I don't know. He wins PTQs now. Yeah. Uh, who knows? I mean, he's playing, he's playing at, in the Team GP in Barcelona this weekend. Barcelona. <laughs> with... Kenji Samura and Katsuhiro Mori. Mori! Oh, dude, the wrestling teams might as well not show up! I mean, I'm gonna swear, I don't swear a whole lot of this. Fucking Kenji and Mori? Yeah. I mean, like, they're actually with the only. Is Peach Garden Oath playing in this? Yes, as a So team. it's obviously Peach Garden Oath against. What's the name of them? One Hat? Yeah. One Spin? One Spin. It's obviously One Spin versus Peach Garden Oath in the finals. And like any other finals, is completely <laughs> fucking unacceptable. There's a oh, lot. actually. There's a lot the of Canadian teams. team. Are they playing together? I don't know. I don't know. Atron, Hohen, and, oh, and Hayne? I don't know if they Oh, dude, that would be it. Okay, those guys are acceptable to be sapukud by <laughs> by One Spin on the way to the finals. But 
Yeah, it's it's it's. I first of all, I mean, like all the pros, they got, they literally dusted off Katsu. <laughs> wait, yeah. wait, they, they dusted off. Yeah, they. Uh, it's kind of insane. Like in all the all the pros. Just oh, wait, stayed. Mori. Yeah, I thought no, no, no. One spin is Kaji. Oh, sorry, Kaji. No, it's Mori. Oh, no, fuck! I don't care. <laughs> I thought they dusted Kaji off was, Kaji. No, Kaji was at the pro tour too. Kaji does commentary for the Japanese stream. I thought you were saying that they dusted no, no, off yeah, Kaji. Sorry, sorry, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is some combination of Kenji. Oh, uh, so it's it's Mori and Saito and Kenji. Yeah, I think Kenji should get a new team, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited when it was Kaji, but no, sorry. It was a uh, it was a feature match. Yeah, never, all that stuff I said a second yeah. ago, I was confused. I thought we were talking about Kaji. If it's if it's Mori, no, and Tix. There was a matchup that was almost on camera. It was yeah. Saito versus Mori. <laughs> almost on camera, huh? <laughs> what did you really need Chris Masioli uh, di- dissecting this one play well, by what play? If, what, if, what, if, what if you did it wrestling style and it was just like a. No rule, no hold bar. No All rules bar. are off. <laughs> you can ancestral yourself, and no one cares. Here. I mean, do you remember the match? Do you remember the match when Antoine were a literally ancestral yeah. recalls? <laughs> literally ancestral recalls. Okay, I thought it was Kaji. Yeah, no, I don't no. care. Kaji if it's was there. I, I would love yeah. to see Kaji play. He's just... Yeah, if it's Kaji, Saito, and Kenji, I would be really excited. Yeah. Do you remember when Kenji dumped uh, Kaji and Saito, and then they they picked up Yasuoka? <laughs> And then they just won the pro tour and the player of the year title. Yeah, yeah. The- they're like, they're, they're like, remember, like his country's like, I'm too good for you guys now. And they're like, sure you are, Kenji. <laughs> that was the sweet note. Did you did you read that interview with Kenji? I didn't. Was oh, it you awesome? got It's awesome. He's like my favorite. You you you're gonna you're gonna be crying while you read this. Really? Yeah. It's just like he goes into his whole life. He goes into like quitting school and then going back to school and how like reclusive he was and how shy he was and it's unbelievable. I it's really like, like him. It's just this incredibly, incredibly intimate interview that really. Like, Who wrote it? Uh, it was done for a Japanese site, but with a lot of, uh, I guess, an eye towards English publication as well. So, um, so let's let's talk about let's talk about Dex. Hold on, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I just want Peach Garden to win now. I don't care about the others. Right. Uh, so I was cheering for Hane and Martel. So I guess sure. I'm just as TRGR as you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if Martel keeps going at the same pace, he's definitely going to be Hall of Fame, right? I mean, I think you have to. He's on the. He's in consideration right now. I mean, like it's him or Owen is best constructed player. In he's the got world. a three. He's got a three year median that is comparable to Luis's like height. But his four year constructed on Pro Tour is untouchable, right? He's like, he's like Steve Nash's shooting. You know, percentage. you know who's kind of ridiculous. By the way, Jeremy Dizani. He's Jeremy Dizani is actually so he finished like he's won one pro tour. He finished 18th at this pro tour. Okay, coming into the last pro tour, he's good at modern. Coming into the last pro tour in in Dublin, he had like a 75% win percentage and constructed at PTs and GPs. Wow, so since then he's won an 18th two pro tours. So I don't want to talk about GPs, I'm just talking about Martel's pro tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like his. His pro tour constructed finish I, in the last four years is utterly untouchable. Yeah, no, Martel, no one Martel, has ever touched this win percentage. Yeah, Martel's, Martel's been terrific. There's no question. If oh, you know what we should do, we should just get like kidnap Huey and then just like stick him in a room with Martel for I don't know a few weeks before the pro tour, and hopefully they'll both survive. <laughs> Might not happen. <laughs> and then maybe Martel would just be unstoppable. What if, what if he could like download all of Huey's knowledge of limited? Like, but I mean, he, he has that now. I, like, he was one win off 
He was just one, like that's that's. But that's Martel's thing. He's like he's like one win off is how you not make a pro tour top eight. That's why he doesn't have that's the five pro tour top eight. But that's the variance of he wouldn't say it's variance. He says that his limited game is obviously has a huge hole in it. If it if it's a if it was the variance, I wouldn't always have a ninety percent win percentage in constructed and like all my losses in limited. Interesting. So that's not variance. Right. He says he said that the way that you get to Pro Tour top eights is you salvage one twos out of train wrecks <laughs> and then you win the matches you're supposed to. It's like, you know, the difference between an O three and a one two is a Pro Tour top eight. It says you have to salvage them. Yeah, look look at look at the US race for uh national champion. Oh, so Sam and Owen are tied? Yeah, Sam and Owen are tied at 44. Reed Duke is right behind them at, at 42. 42. Ben Stark at 40. Oh, I'm sorry. So that's I one told under. you. Yeah, it was one. There Jensen was one. is in the top. Oh, he is? Yeah. Yeah. He's a... Oh. So the whole Peach Garden Oath is within 10 points. It's the Peach Garden time. Oath, Josh McLean and Tom Martell, and then Rietzel's next? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh I only went we kept it within 10 points. God, Cuneo's that high? Yeah, Cuneo just 20, I know, 20 he's 20, 25th or whatever. Yeah, that was the other thing. Like, people were talking about how, like, team, the big teams did badly. Like, uh, did uh, you look at what the Pantheon did? Or face-to-face did fine, too. Yeah, face-to-face did remarkable. Oh, hello, face-to-face, our sponsors. You guys did good <laughs> in this one. They, they did. They were amazing. Um, when they say the... The thing is that I think that... From two years ago, people are just expecting Channel Fireball to win every Pro Tour and top eight, you know, four people in the top eight every Pro Tour, and that's just simply hasn't happened. But they've lost, I mean, I mean, they've lost a big operational edge. What do you mean by that? So they don't have you, Conley anymore? No. Yeah. If you go back two years, you go back three years, yeah. even, let's just say when, go to 2000. When Owen was on their team. Let's go to 2011 when Channel Fireball took their height. Yeah. Go to, go to Paris. Right? Yeah. The Paris for the Pro Tour. Get to Paris two weeks in advance. Acclimate to the time zone. Play test the hell out of the format. Draft the hell out of the format. Other teams weren't doing that. And like I mean, operationally, other teams were not acclimating themselves. Like there's this there was this operational now you have like you have like half the field is getting this. into a city a week to two weeks before. I, I point out to you like you want to talk about a lot of these pro tours paris etc look at their top eight top 16 finishers those guys are on other teams now tom top aided that one and owen top 16 that one and they're on pantheon sure okay like um you know obviously you've got luis you've got raptor and paulo like those guys are still strong but you look at a team like like just just look at this like the top seven guys in the united states six of them six of them are on are 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 on on one team and the and three of those six are the Peach Garden and then McLean just got in right oh <laughs> Ben Stark Ben Stark was in there too we missed Ben Stark I mean the other best drafter in the world yeah yeah, yeah so um the uh, I don't know can you can you imagine like how ludicrous it is to be uh, have a team that has Kai Buda Zvi Moshewitz and John Finkel, and none of those guys are near the top of their team performance. I mean, but Kai, Kai was Kai top sixteen. Kai was 15th, right? Yeah, I mean, it was. It was I mean, I watched his last match. That was just like insane. Oh, lucky. What do you? So why? Why do you say that? Hetrick drew nothing for a million turns, and Kai drew his way to win on the turn before Hetrick was okay, going to beat but, but, it. How about that? Sure. How about Kai drew blanks forever, and Hetrick drew blanks forever, and Kai was in a lot of problems for a long time. And his hand was very bad. And then all of a sudden, he killed him. Okay? Sure. And that, like, Hetrick was actually very well prepared. He just happened to draw nothing. Uh, do you agree or not? I, I agree that Hetrick just kind of was 
drew the nothing for on the rumble strips of the road down the stretch. He didn't draw so much as a sure. street race sure. for sure. seven turns, and he had he actually had a sweet setup to beat Kai. Yeah, right. And Kai had nothing. He had literal nothing that entire time. It's just like, oh wow. Yeah, I guess I'm just going to draw my card for this turn. Sweet. <laughs> Look at all these rituals suddenly came on. And I'm not taking anything away from Kai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, Kai's at the point where he's jump-blocking his Goblin Electromancer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this did not look to me like a clear Kai Buddha victory, right? I mean, this looked to me like if Hetrick draws anything, his, all of a sudden his deck is going to turn on. No, is, sure. am, I, am I missing I, I mean, I think that was true of both of them, right? Like... It's obviously true of Guy. He drew the card <laughs> necessary to win. But I'm, I'm saying, like, two turns early, if Hedrick draws, like, a Street Wraith and, a, sure. you know, I don't know, a Dead Shot Cyclops or whatever the hell the yeah, stupid cards you, in his deck I can't are. tell you how many times I saw Reclusive him. Spiderhead. Or, <laughs> Reclusive Spiderhead. Reclusive Spiderhead. What the hell the cards like in his deck sounds are. Sounds like some Chinese street gang from Law you, Order. You know, you know, slithering garbage truck. <laughs> Look, whatever the cards in his deck are. <laughs> to be just made up cards like that. It's like, I cycle a <laughs> slithering garbage truck. <laughs> Look, dead, dead shot Cyclops skin. <laughs> we cycled that one for our... So, yeah, anyway, I decided... I mean, I'm not saying I was yeah. cheering for Hedrick over Kai. I was actually like, oh, yeah. I think... I mean, obviously, John made this deck. I was cheering for Kai. Every time Kai comes back, I'm always cheering for Kai. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that if Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came back, I'd be like, time for some 40-year-old Sky... 40-year... Time for some 60-year-old Skyhooks, you know? No, I'd be cheering. I'd be cheering in that direction. But I, I mean, like, Hetrick was obviously, like... Yeah, like the fates were not kind yeah. to him in that. Yeah, that was, that was pretty brutal, too. I think he needed to win that uh, match to top 20. And I was actually sad for Hetrick because he, like... He paced the field on day one, yeah. and you hate to see that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But anyway, Jacob Wilson versus who in the final? Sean McLaren. Sean McLaren. So Sean McLaren, is this true? He used to be on face-to-face, and then he was He was. He's a Canadian player, yeah. He kind of just worked alone, not alone, but with like a bunch of guys that he, he knew. Oh, his buds, and, his, yeah. and his brother, who's been off and on the pro tour. Um, but yeah, he's... There was... I, I gotta tell you, Sean's threads, it's like the single best. Threads you know, of this I mean, you, you know, you look at deck lists and you, you see a singleton card in the sideboard. And you're like, how big a difference can, so, this, can this one card make? I gotta say, you know, people are making a big deal about um, Lisey Chen's Blue Moon deck. Yeah, I love that deck. I mean, how far off? I mean, granted, the card Better Skull had been printed. That's like basically the deck that, that me and Andre made for Pro Tour, Pro Tour Berlin, right? Sure, short the... Yeah, and this deck doesn't have enough land, right? This deck was pretty awesome. It doesn't awesome. have enough land. I, 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 well, you'll never win that argument against me if we just yell 20, at each 20, other. 22 lands. 22, there's five drops in this deck. It has, it, its creatures are like four drops. Snapcaster Mage is a four drop. Sure. I mean, like, you actually need to, like, when he said, oh, here's my six, six card nut hand. Yeah, you, you need three of your 22 lands in that six card. You know how statistically improbable that is? I mean, like, that's just, there's not enough land in this deck. I, I do not care to hear arguments from naysayers. There even, is literally even, not, this is like four, a... Even with four serum visions and, and two and two spreading seas? And two spreading seas. Of all the people you've ever met in the world, who has played the most deck like this? Uh, I, would say, I would say it's you. It's a minimum 25 land deck. This might be a 27 land deck. There's no way to get this to a 27 land deck. I'm telling you it doesn't have enough land. Okay? Right. How many people do you know who have played the number of threads of disloyalty in Vitzal Kachakos I mean, that I have? Keep in mind, of the eight people who played this deck, seven of them made day two. That's nice. 
Well, I mean, it's a nice factoid, right? It's a nice factoid. I mean, they're, yeah, they're not hand is good against against a the fair portion is, of the field that did not do well, by the sure, way. Sure, sure. The Zudex. Like, the... I, mean, I could have called that, that a mile. I mean, I would probably not have made a Blood Moon-based mono blue control deck, but I <laughs> like the fact that it exists. I would have right. played more lands, so my deck would win heads up. But, I mean, it was just obvious to me that, I, I you know... Well, let's, let's talk about... Let's talk Clark about, and I were watching the Antiochio versus... Let's talk about the decks in the top eight. Let's just talk about this matchup first. Okay. The Antiochio versus Lishi Chad match, and, you know, that first game was going long. And I just thought that Alkio was incredibly unlucky, because Lishi Chan kept hitting his land drops with his 22 land deck, and Alkio just kept not hitting his lands... And Clark is like, who do you think is going to win? And I'm like, I think Lishi Chan is because he's sitting here on these two Vidalcan Shackles. And then Alkyo obviously played so much better. And I'm like, and I just actually start screaming at the screen for a second. And Clark's like, what's wrong? He's like, why are his Vidalcan Shackles tapped? He's asking to lose. Yes. I mean, I'm like, and, and, and he's like, I don't understand. I'm like, the other guy's just going to kill him the next <laughs> turn. And then, and then you, guys in the, you guys in the booth are like, well, he can't kill him. And I'm like, he's going to play Kiki Jiki. <laughs> It was just so obvious to me how yeah, this yeah, game yeah, was going to yeah, go. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, all he has to do is untap his Vidalcan shackles, and he can't lose yeah. the game. Yeah, we were, we were at the desk, and uh, it was me, I guess, Luis and Rich at the desk. We weren't, yeah. in, we weren't in the booth for that round. And, and, and Luis is just like, why? why I'm why, screaming why, at the screen. Why, I'm like, why, why I'm are like, those shackles Why tapped? are they tapping? Untap one of them then. Like, right. Like, it doesn't even matter. And then, but I, I guess you weren't in the booth, but they were saying how, how they can't win. I'm like, he's just going to cast Kiki Jiki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's. <sighs> It was, it was very frustrating. Yeah. to watch that. I, I mean, Ancy, Ancy, I guess had Ben Yu testing for him overnight, and Ben yeah. Yu was like, "Yeah, we uh, in testing, we never beat the double shackles draw." So they were also questioning when he cast uh, the vapor snag, like without maximum value. It was mm. obvious you have to cast the vapor snag. I didn't. I wasn't watching. Oh, so there's this match. There's this point in the match where like he has one blue open. And then he gets Alkyo to tap a whole bunch of mana, and then he just casts the Vapor Snag yeah. immediately for no value. And they're like, why didn't he wait until, until uh, the Splinter Twin? And I'm thinking to myself, because he has one open land versus zero open land, and if he waits on the Splinter Twin, Alkyo needs a sum total of a remand to put the match well, away. Sure. He has to cast it now. But, yeah, I just couldn't believe that he, he kept the Shackles tapped. So, I mean, I mean just going back to what, your, yeah. your claim of the deck not yeah. having enough land, is some of that offset also for remands, right? No, it has three, three remands, and it has two spreading seas. Okay, but the question is: is how much time against decks does Blood Moon buy you? All right. So the real problem is not the question that you're asking, because if you get into a lock position where he he describes you just like remand lightning bolt Blood Moon three lands, right. you beat a fair portion of the field. They just never cast a spell after turn three. Okay, like. That's fine, I agree. The real problem is that you need to get three operating land. Or you need to get UUU1 for the cryptic command to get you in catch-up mode, right? So this is the kind of... Do you remember you used to used to call this whole class of deck when I was playing it a lot in standard and in other formats the battered wife deck, right? You're like, take a lot of hits and then you <laughs> stabilize, right? You know, well, it's your name, not mine. Let's put it out there. Um, but I used to make a lot of decks with this. You actually have to get to the point where you... Here's the turn that I stabilize. Sure. I'm not dead for a turn. Now I'm going to take control, right? That's very different from other sorts of control decks we've seen over the years. But, like, you know, Hearthlight Spire Golem is absurdly good for that because you don't tap any mana to get to sure. stabilize the board. But Batter Skull's fine. You tap out. It's unlike your opponent can necessarily deal with it. But you have a five drop. What turn do you actually plan to cast that card? I mean, he was honestly, he wasn't casting that card until turn 10. Yeah, so here's the thing. 
if you're going to play only against Zudex and you're going to win the flip every single time, yeah, I mean, you mulligan to Blood Moon, right? And your six-card hand's really good a lot of the time, especially if you can get Reman to, to get you to your third land. But the real problem is that this deck has no way whatsoever to beat any kind of the combo control decks like the Kiki-Jiki variants as long as, they're, as long as they hit their land drops. They don't even need... They could be under Blood Moon and they can still win. They have enough blue sources sure. to cast Cryptic. No, no, that, that, that right? definitely seemed to me like his worst matchup. Because this, blue, red, because this deck can never actually commit to offense. What, what turn can you actually ca tap five to cast a Batter Skull? Right? Like, let's say I have ten lands in play. I'm going to cast... I, I, I agree with you totally. When I was looking at the quarterfinal matchups, I, I, I didn't see... Any Lee. way for this I didn't see Lee getting out of it. And then, like, it looked like he was going to steal game one. I'm like, oh! Yeah, I told Skalk I thought he was going to win. Because, yeah. like, because the Shackles are like, yeah, you just, you know, you grind him out. He, 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 it's hard for the other guy to, to get in. But it, I'm like, the turn where both of them were tapped, I'm like, yeah. this is unnecessarily greedy. I think he's dying this turn. And he's like, I thought you said the other guy was going to win. I'm like, well, yeah. no. It, I, um, I think Luis saw the play. I can't remember who saw it. But there's also another play where you can actually just overload the Vidalcan Shackles by casting like a Pestermite to untap one, and then he loses the ability to uh, right. to keep the guy. But that was, that was actually the problem with keeping them tapped is that they could yeah. just get untapped and then. But he actually has to proactively untap them so that he can he can work around a Kiki Jiki or yeah, yeah. or uh, or a sponsor twin. But yeah, I, I was disappointed because I I wanted to cheer for this deck, and sure. I mean now it it honestly doesn't look that inspired to me. I don't think this is the kind of deck that will do well in the PTQs at all. You don't think this will do well no. in the PTQs? No. This deck preys on the fact that people played bad Zoo decks. But people, you don't think we can all think that happens at the PTQs? It's, uh, this is what I... If I were playing in a modern PTQ okay. tomorrow, no doubt I'm playing Tim Rivera's deck. Or, I mean, probably a better version of okay. Tim Rivera's so deck. Okay, so let's talk about Ansi Akio's deck for a second. So this was the yeah. other deck that was up against... Um, this was the deck that was up against Lee Shitian. This is This is like the Grand Prix Antwerp winning list yeah. that Patrick Dickman actually had won that Previously GP played with. with, sure. And like, obviously some changes, like the Grim Lava Mancers are no longer main deck, etc. But, so, like, what do you, I mean, I, I don't see this deck ever really consistently losing to... To, to Lishi Chan's deck, right? Lishi if that's the case, then Lishi Chan's deck is not even viable. Right. This, this, I, I kind of, I just like this version, actually. I just yep. find it, I just find it really clean. Right. Quick question, what's my favorite card in this deck? Is it Charm? No. Electrolyze? It's Peak, for sure. Oh, <laughs> The one peak. We the mentioned one peak, that. Yeah, yeah we mentioned if I, that. If I uh, played this deck, I would clean up the numbers a lot. I mean, wouldn't you? Why wouldn't, yeah, you, why why wouldn't you play a Dispel? Why wouldn't you get Taxian Probe? Uh, well, the other, the other twin what? deck on the top, I'd get Taxian yeah. Probes for, for the Tarmogoyf, but the peak was sweet in this deck. But why wouldn't you Probe instead of peak? Because I can peak with my Snapcaster Mage on end step. Well, I'm not grizzly bearing them with this deck, unless I'm monoscrewed. If I played a deck like this, I would probably play 25 or more lands again, and I would cut down on some of the extraneous cards like Dispel and Main Deck Spellskite, and I would just play more instants. That's what I would do. Yeah, 23 lands here versus yeah. 22 lands. I mean, like, just look 20, at this. Versus 22 lands on Sheet Tion's deck. It's like, obviously, look at this deck. This is obviously... A modification of my blue-red standard deck from two years ago, right? Sure. So it's this is the the version that gets to play with Kiki Jiki instead of Inferno Titan, right? right, right. But if you're in a heads-up matchup on twin on twin, the guy with twenty six lands and four tectonic edges is going to crush the other guy. But this is twenty three lands. I know. I'm telling you, if I'm sitting across the table <laughs> and I have twenty six lands and four tectonic edges, sure. good luck, other guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've played that matchup many, many times. I know so, who wins this So you one. also don't like the mana base on this? 
No, I think that I think that obviously some of these decks were served, and even Facetious said better than Tim Rivera's deck because t- these decks obviously serve well the Pro Tour, but these decks are. I knew that Wild and the Cattle and Bitter Boss were going to be hot going into the Pro Tour, and I was pretty sure they were going to be bad, right? These decks are all preying on Wild and the Cattle decks. Sure. There's no Wild and the Cattles in the top eight. Yeah, no, zero I think, Wild I think the, the closest is Owens in 15th, right? So, like, there's zero Wild and the Cattles in the top eight. You don't... The, the guy you got to beat after this Pro Tour is anti-Alkyo's deck. Alkyo's deck is the... Of, of the decks that made top eight is the best position to win, uh, provided it's 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 loaded up for everybody else. Now you're gonna say like Jacob Wilson or something, right? But if you imagine you have a twenty six, I, no, I, I think I think the Jacob Wilson deck is gonna be it's gonna perform very poorly at the PTQs because it's hard to play. It's because I mean, there I, were I mean, there, were, play, there right? were pros going into the Pro Tour, yeah, who were like, I can't play that deck. See, like I could play, I could, I agree, I probably would not be good at Jacob Wilson's deck. I could play Adzialkio's sure. deck in my sleep. But the uh, if you go down to to Tim Rivera's deck, I like this deck by far. It's my so, favorite deck so in the Tim, top eight. Tim, Tim Rivera played against. Uh, who did he play against? I think he played against Wilson in the top eight and lost. No, no, he who did. He, oh, did he lose to? Jacob I believe Wilson? he lost to Jacob Wilson. Yeah. Let's, we can look at the... Yeah. You can just hit back, right? Well, I want to save that page. Okay. Because we're looking stuff up today. Yeah, we are. So what? Pro Tour. Uh, so, oh, Sean, he, he lost to Sean McLaren. Oh, he lost to Sean McLaren. Right. Oh, that's right. Because that was the... Cra- how, I, how insane... I missed that match, actually. How insane was this? So, so it's game three. Yeah. Um... Both players are playing this kind of grindy, like kind of like awkward hands in the finals. Yeah. In the you know, the game, and they're both like digging, digging. And so finally, they fought a couple of wars, yep. and they're both like kind of low on cards. And Tim Rivera has like Splinter Twin, Splinter Twin, Geeky Jeeky in hand. Yeah. But just. But no killer. But doesn't have a killer. He has like all the red parts, none of the blue parts. He's like Wall of Omens. Yeah. And then they, they get go into a little fight over the Wall of Omens or something. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. And then Antan taps and he's just like, Splinter Twin on Wall of Omens. Yeah. Right? He's like, Splinter That's Twin like on Wall of Omens. That's like me with my Splinter Twin on, on Pilgrim's Eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you know how unbeatable Splinter Twin <laughs> on Pilgrim's so, Eye is? <laughs> so they get into a little fight over that. Yeah. And then Sean McLaren untaps. Yeah. And Threads of Disloyalty is the wall. <laughs> oh, my God. And then he buries him. Buries unbeatable. him. Just buries him in card advantage. Like to the point where he like took two cards. The point where like uh, Rivera tries another wall, another Splinter yeah. Twin to keep up, and like like McLaren's like burn it, double burn it, just throw two cards How at does it. McLaren have his one. That's why I see this deck in this matchup. Was he planning to take Wall of Omens? I think he was doing it for Spellskite. I think it was in there for Spellskite. But I don't. But why is Spellskite important? I guess because of all of his stuff that's gonna. Disrupt the combo. I mean, Spellskite's really good the other way. I mean, obviously, it 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 happened good for him. But anyway, so Tim Rivera's deck I, it was like a little facetious when I said I, I I would play a better version. I mean, better in the sense that it'll be optimized for people who are aware of this sure. this tournament. But you can so just yeah, look at Rivera, Rivera's playing blue blue white red. Twins. I would actually just argue that of of the those are probably the two best decks in the top eight, and that McLaren had the advantage for what reason? Twenty six lands and four tectonic edge. Yeah. So I think that that's the reason why he had the advantage, not not most of the other stuff. You miss the land drops, not good. You look at Rivera's deck. The reason that this deck is so cool is you've got cards like Snapcaster Mage, Wall of Omens, Restoration Angel. These are just decks that are these are just cards that are good. Yeah, he's playing with Lightning Helix and Lightning Bolt. Yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have Pestermite, right? He doesn't have any kind of like he doesn't have the the weakest combo piece. This is just the cleanest deck that you could play. I think if you want to figure out how to get two more lands in this deck, 
Um, I don't know. I don't know what spells you cut because these the spell selection is so what good. What do you cut? Like one lightning helix. I don't even want to cut and the one remand. I don't want to cut those. I, I could sure. see cutting the lightning helix, maybe path to exile. But you know what's punishing you cut, to me? You cut a wall of omens. No. No. I don't see it. But the but the zudax weren't there as much, so maybe you can. But the two them. snapcaster mages is killing me. It, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. I think I would want to play like I would figure out how to play peak in this deck. <laughs> but you know, you know what I would sideboard in this deck for sure. Because I think that people will play Lishi Chan's deck early on, like one one to three Pilgrim's Eyes. How could you lose? Oh. Wow, Pilgrim's Eyes is a sweet card. Like the other decks, like predicated on Blood Moon, be like, all right, Pilgrim's Eye. What are you going to do about it? But like, it's actually really sweet. Yeah, I just need to get my planes. Blood Moon. Blood Moon was a huge card all weekend. It wasn't even just in, like, it wasn't even just in the Blood Moon deck. Like, John Storm deck was running Blood Moon in yeah. the sideboard, and, like, by accident. Like, Matt Costa, like, he, he loaded Matt Costa's version of a deck, and Matt had some, like, stupid Blood Moons with air quotes yeah. that, like, John was like, what the hell are these? And then he just tried it, and he was like, oh my god, this was awesome. <laughs> oh, what's crazy is, like, Blood Moon versus Leyline of the Void in <laughs> that, that guy match. <laughs> anyway, um, this deck is just the cleanest deck ever. I love it so much. Uh, I think if you, I think if I played it in PTQ, I'd add an island to the sideboard. There's already a plans, right? I'd add it in the main deck. I'd add one island to the sideboard, and then I would add like one to three pilgrims' eyes. That's but, interesting. And then um, that allows me to get to three islands if I need to. Maybe not. The sec doesn't have doesn't have cryptic command. Maybe you don't need extra islands because they actually just feed your your kiki jiki. Just gonna go off. You're gonna have three reds. Yeah, I don't need the island. I, I played. I'd play the pilgrims' eye though. Um, Anger of the Gods is great in this deck because Deceiver Exarch, Resto Angel, oh, and yeah. Wallow Moments all live through it. Yeah, yeah. It's absurdly good in this deck. Display spells okay, NX is okay. Of course, you're going to play the fourth Lightning Helix. So, so and so, it seems like. Eh. eh. I mean, yeah. there wasn't a lot of Trons, right? And no, Blood Moons are good. There was, there was a fair amount of Valakit. Really? Yeah, this well, deck's channel, so much faster than the Valakit. The Fireball guys played Valakit. Like, aren't you infinity faster than Valakit? Probably. Like, they, they don't have good. You know what? You know what might be good in this deck? Gutter Ball. Oh, Wrecking gutter, Ball? No, Gutter Response. Oh, Gutter Response is sweet. Yeah, might be good. Might, maybe, I don't know if Gutter Ball's better than Dispel or not, but... Uh, I love this deck. Um, I, I would like to get more lands if I played it in PTQ. Yeah. The deck, the deck that I really liked was Dickman's Tarmor Twin deck. So ex explain to me what happened I don't, oh, I don't after know, Dickman's match. Oh, you know, like this, I don't understand. I didn't see the whole thing. It was like it seemed like a big deal. It's just like a kid, and like well, he's, not, he's stressed he's out. Super, like, so first of all, one of the things I noticed about this pro tour yeah. is it seemed like there was much more emotion on display. Like I don't mean this in a bad the way. Young top eight players, young top eight, inexperienced top yeah. eight. Right? There's a lot of like, but not arguing that. Like Finel, like when Finel made top eight, like he almost like collapsed under the emotion of it. Like, this is a guy who's been playing for 12 years, like, on the Pro Tour and at GPs, and you know what I mean? Like, and has never gotten this far before. And, like, he, I mean, he literally, as he's walking out of the feature yeah. match area, like, he, it's almost like as soon as he crossed the barrier of it's the feature like match area. like a validation area, of his life. His just, like, his just puppet strings were cut. Like, he just, he just crumbled. R like he was, Rivera played so, I mean, I watched, I meant, I watched the match that he played to make top eight. Yeah. He played, like, so calmly. yeah. I didn't even. Well, he's a so. so he's I didn't a, even know he was playing a twin deck, and I was like, I was like, oh, they're playing blue red white mirror, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just destroys him a twin. I'm like, oh. Rivera, Rivera, Rivera A has been playing since Pro Tour Dallas. Yeah. 
That's when I started playing. J- Junior's division. Oh, so he's a young guy. Yeah, well... <laughs> Pro Sport 5. As far as we can tell, he's only the third person who was a father at the time that he made his top eight. Yeah. Uh, in the history of the Pro Tour. Rob Darty and Kuroda. Oh, yeah, the two. Kuroda. But, uh... I can't believe but I Rivera, got Rivera, Kaja Rivera, Mori. Rivera, <laughs> confused. Rivera also uh, had a, has a lot of experience playing World of Warcraft card game. CCG. So... He's been so same thing with Ansi Alkio. Ansi Alkio is apparently like the best World of Warcraft player yeah. for the last few years. Now he's just like, oh, they, my game's gone. All right, time to go crush magic. So Dickman's deck. So down at twenty one lands. Yeah, twenty one lands is, is kind of crazy to me. But his, he's playing a completely different. But he's deck. got he's visions, Gitaxian probe, like cheap removal, like flame slash. Deck's good. Um, I think that I might... Like, people didn't know. Like, he had multiple opponents who just had no idea. He's playing Rug. They just like, they thought they were playing Rug Delver. Like, oh, you didn't draw your Delvers? Nope, I didn't draw my Splinter Twin. Boom, kill you. Yeah, I think this deck's good. See, I'm not going to fight over the 21 lands. And it's like, this deck is just a tempo deck, right? Right. I mean, you just play a second turn scavenging because you might beat a guy with it. Right. Well, and he did. I mean, we saw him do that consistently. Like, just... Tarmogoy or Scavenging Ooze, just beat down. And then, like, because you're putting pressure on your opponent, they have to do something. They have to commit some resources to the board, and then you're like, oh, awesome. End of the turn, Exarch, untap, kill you. Yeah, this is, I like this kind of deck. I mean, I think it's a little tight. Um, what kind of deck did he lose to? Uh, uh, Birthing Pod deck, is that correct? No, 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 he, he actually lost to McLaren's... Oh, uh, Blue-Red-White? He lost to McLaren's... Yeah, so, so... I... So the weird here's the weird thing that happened. Yeah. So McLaren, because he's again, very angry after he lost yeah, to McLaren. So McLaren gets. So they they again it's like an emptyish board. Like yeah. They're both down to nothing. But Dickman has landed a scavenging ooze and equipped it with sort of feast and famine, right? And so he's like, go. Yeah. McLaren draws his threads of disloyalty, <laughs> and threads. And Threads is... The Scavenging The Scavenging Ooze that has the, the Feast of Famine. Which is like... Wait. Can I read Threads of Disloyalty for a second? Sure. Yeah, it definitely does that. <laughs> so, he's yeah. like, so he's like, okay. So then uh, McLaren's like, attackers? Yeah. And Dickman says, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so... And so then as they, once they both said, he said attackers, yeah. he said, yeah. McLaren then's like, mm, hold on, I want to check something with the judge. Yeah. He wants to check just because the Sword of Feast and Famine has two different triggers. Yeah. One triggers based on the equipped creature, and the other triggers based on the controller of Sword and Feast yeah. and Famine. So basically, Dickman's going to have to discard a card, but he gets to untap all his lands. Okay. And uh, what ends up happening is, when he comes back, comes back from the judge's ruling, sits down... McCla- uh, Dickman now wants to do something before attackers are declared. And he's like, he's like, no, I said attackers, you said yes. So we are now in my declare attacker step, and you don't have this opportunity to respond. So the judge backed and, him up? And no, the judge did back him up. The judge said, yes, this is what happened. No, he backed him up. He we, backed McLaren up. No. No, he let oh, when I say back him up, I mean like he supported McLaren. Oh, yes, 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 yes. He supported McLaren, and so McLaren was able to attack, hit him. Instead and, of getting like pestermited or whatever. Or pestermited or cryptic commanded or whatever it was going to be. I don't even remember the details at this point. But so Dickman felt a little peevish about that. He felt like 
maybe he didn't say yes. I don't know. I guess he hadn't watched the videotape. <laughs> um, I mean, there's high emotion running. Yeah, yeah, okay, playing yeah, yeah, top, yeah. Top high emotion, and then and then and then he got a little, I guess, out of line where he just kind of was like, and every time he caught my deck, I drew a forest, you know, or whatever. Don't yeah. don't play forest. <laughs> That's what you get. <laughs> play the worst card in Magic. You're gonna draw it occasionally. You play Bayou. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh... Andrew Cooney used to be like, any deck with Bayou is automatically bad. <laughs> but it was, uh... He's like, name one that has Bayou that's good. <laughs> so, so anyway, he was he was pretty bitter about it. I mean, there was a lot of emotion. Like, J- Jacob Wilson, like, there was like this, you know, they did an interview on stage with the finalist and the winner at the trophy, and Jacob Wilson was like, really... Upset? Really upset. I mean, but they can't expect no, anything no, no, other no, than... No, 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 of course. And yeah. like, but people at home like seem to seem to react very badly to him being upset. Like, you understand something. A, this kid's eighteen years old. Yeah. Right? B, he played like a stony, you know, emotionless edifice. Like, for three just, days. For three days, nothing. Just like t- every time he would start to have an emotion, he had a plunger by the side of his table and he would shove the plunger down his throat and shove his emotions all the way down deep into his belly. Like you should. No emotions. And like and so then there he is in the finals. Yeah, and he's playing, and like there's he's got so a bad much, matchup. There's got a bad matchup, but there's so much on the line because yeah. it's not only win, right? It's not only just win forty thousand dollars. It's win forty thousand dollars. Now he's not he's not a rookie. Win forty thousand dollars. Seat at the World Championship. Oh, which is free money. Platinum for this year and next year just by winning. Yeah. Uh yeah, you know, and uh, you know, probably be in the lead for the World Magic Cup National Championship. Like, it's just insane. Like, someone someone estimated the value on the match at being closer to $80,000. You know, like, in, in do you differential. Think, do you think Wilson played well? Yeah, I thought he played really well. What, what else can you do? Exactly. It's a bad exactly. No, no, exactly. And, like, so I, like, I, I actually talked to him backstage yeah. afterwards, and he was, like, you know, obviously just, like, I don't know, maybe embarrassed about his emotion. I was like, look, here's what I do when something bad happens to me. Eh. I, what I try to do is I go, all right, something bad has happened to me. How long from this moment until I can take this bad thing that happened to me and make it into something funny? <laughs> right? That's my formula. This is what I yeah. do. This is what I do. I'm like, well, how long do I think it'll be before this is funny? And sometimes I'll be like, no, this will never be funny. You know? Or sometimes I'm like, oh, you know. And so Jacob, I said to Jacob Wilson, you know, what do you think? And he's like, I don't know, three minutes? Yeah. <laughs> You know, he's like, three minutes, nothing really bad happened here. Would he really be upset about yeah, finals? No, like, no, a pro no, tour? no, 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 no. I mean, he's mostly known as a legacy specialist in terms of, like, winning winning Star City Opens, right? right? right like, yeah. that's what most people know Jacob Wilson yeah. for, for Delvers and Geists and Tarmogoyfs. But also, like, multiple GP finals and top eights. I mean, he's... I, th- I personally think people know him as a legacy guy. Because he keeps doing sure, really, really I, well. I know he was a Grand Prix champion. I, I put a lot more stock in a Grand Prix champion than a Legacy Open winner. I would tend to agree with you, but he keeps doing it over and over again. It's hard to forget him sure. as a Legacy Open winner. Sure. <laughs> like, like, oh, Jacob, another Legacy Open win? What, what, did, you, what did you think of his uh, Maleripod list? I mean, isn't it just similar to other people's Maleripod list? This yeah, is the I deck that people have been playing for two yeah. years now. Um, you know, it's a clearly a deck that has performed consistently in modern over the last couple of years. Were you were you surprised going into this pro tour that both Birthing Pod and Splinter Twin were not banned? No. 
Really? How can you? I mean, birthing pot I can kind of see banning. It's like Jace Jr. But I can't ban a random green card. The, the combo is <laughs> not even fast. Be like, well, if you give me seven uncontested turns, I might win the game of Magic the <laughs> Gathering. I mean, like, this isn't this isn't Storm. Like, oh, second turn kill you. You're like, well, give me a second, and I will card cast my Kosali Pride Mage. You go ahead, sir. Oh, a voice of resurgence. If I get my birthing pod, this could be two different bodies sometime in the future. Are you kidding? This is the most inoffensive combo deck in the history of magic. And and to be and fair, people can't even decide if this or the Kiki Jiki version is better. And, and, well, I think the Kiki Jiki version is better. And, and to be fair, and to be fair, people can't play it properly. Right? I'm just saying, it's just like it's, you, know, you just ban my cards favorite, because decks might. My win favorite, match. my favorite play of the weekend with this yeah. is like. Uh, Wilson's got like I don't know some some really just like meager collection of cards in play. So I think he's got like a noble hierarch, an eternal witness, and some other one toughness creature. It might be another noble hierarch. <laughs> it was just like and the witness is getting in for four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, but it's just like some really kind of like, and his opponent is playing storm, and he goes for like a small grape shot, and he's just like. Card of calling up Orzov Pontiff, make all my guys plus one. Yeah, and then, and because it was like literally grape shot for three. Yeah, one two three. And then you know, and six then, turns later, he attacked yeah. him for three. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we should totally ban these cards. <laughs> You're right. I was just asking. I mean, it was a card. Certainly, people were talking about going into the. I don't think they list. should have banned Bloodbraid Elf. I mean, like, sure. I mean, like. Half the band list doesn't make any sense. Is there any, anything? I mean, is this is this a deck you you see yourself playing in the PTQs? God, PTQ? no! I don't have the ability to even search for the correct lands with this deck. <laughs> this is not in my wheelhouse. This yeah. kind of a deck. Yeah, I mean, I could see playing. Uh, I mean, let's see. Seabold's deck is probably pretty hard to play. But I do you really think that's hard to play? Uh, I mean, I, it is probably think, hard to play optimally. I think limited resource attack decks. That are linearly susceptible to counterattack are uh, are consistently underrated in terms of how hard they are to play. Well, you know what? If you knew that every opponent you played was going to be playing Living End, let me tell you, this is the deck you want to play. What if all of my opponents were playing Blue Moon? How about this deck? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think if I were going to play an aggro deck, I'd be much more likely to play Straight Burn. Sure. Right. I mean. It's it's good. So, it's good in similar spots, and I would make fewer mistakes. Uh, hold on a second. Speaking of that, look, look at this list. I think he went. Uh... Uh, what's his name? Why don't you just search for the card? Oh sure. Bump in the night. Jasper Johnson Epstein. So he went like seven two and one or eight one and one with this deck. Eighteen lands. Look at this list. This guy is brave. Jasper Johnson Epstein. This deck four, is excessive. Four Golem guy. Oh, there's three, three snow-covered mountains in his in his spells for some reason. I mean, it's not an 18 land deck. Okay. No, oh, okay. Mind. Yeah, it's a 21 land deck. Four vexing devils. Yeah, I I, I kind of missed four, that in my deck. I think I guess it could be good. Four Boros charm. Four bump in the night. Four lava spike. Four lightning bolt. Two lightning helix. Four rift bolt. Two searing blaze. One shard volley. Three skull crack, and then the Ever flavorful three snow covered mountains. I think I could get behind this deck. This deck was, I mean, like, people were just dying to this deck. I mean, it's just the like. The problem is, like, I played a deck like this a bunch last year when I was playtesting Modern. 
Yeah. This deck is so bad against the card Lightning Helix. Your opponent just has to draw one, and you can't win half the time. Like, look at the decks in top eight that had Lightning Helix. Most of them had Snapcaster Mage. They draw sure. Snapcaster Mage and Lightning Helix, you can't win. It's sure. so, so tough. You saw this last night, I assume. Um, the Ad Nauseam deck that came in ninth, ninth, right? Yeah. 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 This deck was sweet. I mean, Jared is a legacy specialist, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a very legacy feeling deck. But uh, you had a, you know, multiple readings on Lightning Storm. Is it that new card? No, it's a Cold Snap card. What does this do? Lightning Storm deals X damage to target creature or player, or X is three, plus the number of charge counters on it. Break. Yeah. Discard a land card. Put two charge counters on Lightning Storm. By the way, it's an instant. Put two charge counters on Lightning Storm. You may choose a new target for it. Any player may activate this ability, but only if Lightning Storm is on the stack. I've never even heard of this card. Yeah, this was a cold snap card. So this like, is his kill card? This is his kill card. So basically, he draws his entire deck. He goes, yeah. he goes, Angel's Grace, Ad Nauseam, draw my entire deck. Yeah. And then he's like, discard a barrel full of mana monkeys. Yeah. Play Lightning Storm. And then I just can put all if the they If they counter Lightning Storm, it doesn't matter. He just responds by putting more stack, more copies on the I stack. I guess so, yes. Well, I mean, at this point, he's Angel's Grace and Ad Nauseam. So it's yeah. unlikely that, he, yeah, that yeah. this is going to get countered. Yeah. Yeah, this this deck is all, also in the out of my wheelhouse zone. <laughs> I I think I could play I think I could play uh uh a Deceiver Exarch deck in like the ninety fifth percentile, but I don't think that I can play most of these at all. Ooh, Alex Sittner. Go for the throat, fairies, huh? John Stern. Arcbound Ravager. What did Hayden play? Ooh, I like these Skullcrack decks. I guess These guys all have vexing them. Huh? You know what card I think is a little underrated? Teetering Peaks. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Like, if you don't want to play uh, Spark Elemental, I guess. But if you play Spark Elemental and Goblin Guide, it's pretty good. I think. Well, what do you think of Crispin uh, L Storm List versus, like, the Pantheon Storm List? So this is basically playing Faithful Sluting over Desperate Ravings. Well... I don't understand the three goblin electromancers that a lot of people see. And playing three goblin electromancers instead of four goblin electromancers. All I know is last year, John just like, don't say anything about goblin electromancers. We'll <laughs> get <to> credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think Faithless Looting is quite good. Yeah. Uh, I'm you... not sure what to say. Like, he has a lot of burn cards, right? He has I mean, like, three grape shots. I watched multiple situations where an opponent just did not kill John or Kai's turn two goblin electromancer. Really? They just decided to do something else. Asking to lose the game. Like, just go, like, turn to Tarmogoyf or something. You it's know? asinine. And then, like, oh, look. All right, you're dead. <laughs> Kill you. They're like, oh, would you like to read the card Desperate Ravings? You're not going to like this. <laughs> <laughs> we watched John on camera make 18 goblins on turn three. Yeah. You know, like... And Tim, then lose the game. <laughs> no, 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 he won that game. You know, he's like, oh, do you have any turn three kills? And he's like, he just had a turn three kill, Tim. <laughs> It just um, took a couple turns more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Olivier Ruel, right after John played uh, in Seattle last year, the Goblin Electromancer deck, Olivier Ruel made top uh, eight of uh, a Grand Prix the next week playing three Goblin Electromancers. So I guess it became en vogue to not sure. play the correct number of Goblin Electromancers. This is another This is another very light land deck, right? I, well, this is different. It's yeah. got so much, like, uh, rituals and sure. cheap cantrips. 
Uh, I, I think 18 lanes is probably perfectly serviceable in this I deck. Wonder... Wait, can, I, can we see Kai's deck in comparison? Sure. Uh, okay. I would like to... I wonder... This feels like it might be... Two Kai's in the top eight. 16 lands in Kai's deck. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that. I mean, like, they don't mess around with their stupid extra grape shots or lightning bolts in the main deck. Right. John always said you want to have the lightning bolts. They're good in the sideboard, but he says they're the best card in the sideboard. But you know, playing the main. Yeah, three desperate ravens, four desperate ritual, four attacks. I mean, do you know how many times they just sat there next to John while he just took draws off his storm? Well, he I mean, loves storm. Like, let me tell you something. There's no group that's more secretive than the Pantheon and all of the Pro Tour. And but even as secretive as they are, everyone knew John. Was everyone knew, like John, you know, interviewing Tom, like what's going on. It's like, well, you know, we all do this. John sits in the corner and goldfishes his storm deck, and the rest of us work on some other decks. Like no one even like, there's no pretense. The shocker was that I think that Kai played it. But this, this was like I think the best performing deck? archetype, the storm deck. Uh, as far as I can tell, uh, the blue-red-white control deck was the best performing archetype. because oh, it won? <laughs> it won, yeah. Yeah, I, I really love Tim Rivera's deck, because it feels like the blue-red-white control deck, and then you can just kill them. Right, right. It's, it's very attractive. It's got, it's got a couple of plans. So we've talked uh, about Magic the Avenue for an hour and, an hour and like 38 seconds now. Maybe we should talk about TV and basketball. All right, I'll talk about TV for sure. All right, so... You couldn't make me talk about basketball if you put a gun to my head. Um... You know Meta World Peace is better than Earl Clark, right? I, I don't want to talk about basketball. <laughs> I, read, I read The Wire and I'm like, are you really just taking Cavs cast-offs now? I, Shannon Brown, huh? He couldn't make the cut on the Cavs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I was kind of hoping we'd get Jimmer. I think we're going to get Jimmer. Yeah, I do think you're going to get Jimmer. I think we're going to get Jimmer. I think Jimmer's <laughs> going to make the playoffs now. I was a little depressed with all the, like, we lost three close games in a row, and then we smash OKC at home last night? I was like, why? this team doesn't know which... We could, can't beat the, the Toronto Raptors. Sure. <laughs> but, oh, Kevin Durant at home, you say, huh? Well, they were 0-3 since Westbrook came back. Yeah, well... You, you read the Grantland column? Yeah, about, yeah. Like, step-back jumper? I watched the entire Skyhook video that he posted... How do people not do the skyhook? I'm actually thinking maybe Tyler Zeller could spend the summer learning the skyhook. He's like skinny and seven foot tall, just like Kareem. What does what does Tyler Zeller develop no, the skyhook? I, I don't know why it's 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 an almost indefensible shot. But nobody uses it. No, I mean it's because it's old fashioned. Howard and and Yao and Shaq all have like a flat looking hook that sure. they do. You know, Brad Doherty developed the hook. Like, the, the, I mean, but a lot of those guys too. Like, like if you get some of those big guys ten foot ten feet from the basket. Yeah. Like, they can just do a straight jump shot, and it's the same, effectively the same as well, the Well, it's hook. not, because the Skyhook can't be... It goes way over how high somebody can be. I understand, but I'm just saying, is like, you get one of these guys who's seven feet tall, and he's just, like, jumps, does a jump shot from yeah. ten feet away, it's effectively it's, the same thing. He's just shooting down. And yeah, then, yeah. So, did, you, did you watch last night's uh, Clippers game at all? No. It was just unbelievable. It was like a volleyball game more than it was a basketball game. It was Clippers versus Houston? Yeah, it was Clippers versus Houston. It was like Houston. two of my favorite teams it was to just watch, like, too. It was just like tons of steals, tons of blocked shots, huge amounts of turnovers. It was kind of insane. So Houston's on like a little bit of a losing streak, huh? Yeah. Lost one. <laughs> Houston, I, I love their offense so much. They take 50% three-point shots. Can we talk about TV instead? Um, One second. 
Kevin Durant's six foot eleven. Yeah. How did I not know this? I don't know. He is. I don't know. Who's, he, the, who's the first person to talk to you about Kevin Durant? Uh, probably Tuna. This is actually now I don't like Kevin Durant as much now that I know that he's six foot eleven. He's allowed Kendrick fucking Perkins to play center on his team for the last two or three years. If you're six foot eleven. You have the te- talent of Kevin Durant. Let me tell you something. They can hire a different small forward. Okay. <laughs> he gets credit as a small forward. He's six foot eleven and unguardable. Yeah. This is like freaking Kevin I mean, Garnett that, territory. That, that, it's like bas- oh, basketball positions have really like really broken. No, no, no. They've really broken down from like the classic model. Okay, look, Garnett and Duncan's just as guilty. Both of those guys are seven footers who get credited at six eleven, so they don't have to guard opposing centers. Okay, this is well known. Last year they were like fuck it, and they just gave Duncan first team at center, right? But like his story, they're like oh, they, people always talk about how Duncan's the greatest power forward of all time. He's played center his entire career, but the but they really don't want to guard opposing centers. But the fact that that Durant is playing. Two spots out of position. He's playing wing. Other people on other teams are like six foot five who play this position. Sure. He's basically Kevin Garnett or Tim Duncan playing small forward. It's it's embarrassing. He's the second best player in the league. Should be doing something else with this time. If you don't want to talk about TV, we can talk about baseball. I'm happy right, to right. talk about baseball. All right, TV, TV. So Americans last night. I haven't watched it yet. Shit, it was a good. I, I know. It's like the best show on TV. How many shows do you think are the best show on a TV? Lot a them. lot of them are in top one. A lot right? of them. It was uh, good. I mean, team, we're going into like this crazy period right now where all these two... Like, I was Is arguing, Scandal ever going to come back? Scandal and Good Wife? Scandal's tonight. Coming back? Tonight's new episode. Sweet. And Good Wife? You just out me that I watch Scandal on the podcast? Everybody watches Scandal, dude. I watch Scandal. I'll admit so, it. So I'm coming back. I'm coming back. <laughs> oh, I'm coming back in the car. From uh, Grand Prix Vancouver. I, yeah. I flew in and out of Seattle. So I met with like Marshall and Randy. And uh, we drove from Seattle to Vancouver. Coming back in the car, we're just talking about TV. We're just going off on TV. It's so yeah. much good TV. Is Randy like, I like TV, but I really like Moulin Rouge. <laughs> no. So he's talking about all the shows. We're talking about all the shows. Like, and, I'm like, and I'm like, and Randy starts saying something. And I'm like, hey, Randy, I don't know if this is going to sound weird, but do you watch? And he's like, Scandal? <laughs> And I'm like, yes! So sweet. It's, I was, we, we, uh, we binged the show, yeah. my wife and so I. So did I. And I had, I just, I just, I chalked it up as Grey's Anatomy, which I just hated. Because it's the same show. I've never right? seen it. It's a, the same writer show. I've runner. never Sean, seen an episode yeah, we just, well, you know, Grey's Anatomy. We watched it, and it was just kind of like, watched two episodes, and it was just kind of like, oh, this it's is. like Desperate Housewives Yeah, we were really kind of crappy. And, uh, but we, yeah, we watched this, and it's just. It's just utterly compelling. It's like the soapiest West Wing. I mean, it's really good. Yeah, and everyone on it's terrific. Everyone, she's she's great. And uh, but yeah, no, we we so uh, you like you like True Detective, right? I love True Detective. So how did McConaughey spend his entire career convincing everyone that he was a pathetic Rocco actor when he's really just the best actor in Hollywood? This is I unbelievable. Mean, I mean, I think some stuff happens with people. Like, I think no, I think he must have always been this good. He spent his efforts he was, he keeping was, us from was, knowing he how was, good he was. He was very good early on. I mean, he does some great bits. But I think there's a point where you become a movie star. I mean, I star. cried in A Time to Kill. There's, there's a point where you become a movie star, yeah. I think, and you're not an actor. And then that's sort of like the peak of your stardom. And then once you go on the other side of it and go back down and you get a little bit of like people disliking you and criticizing you, 
I, th- I think that sometimes those people, people become better actors on the other side of that. Unless they're Robert De Niro, and then they're just always terrible from then on out. But, like, McConaughey's just the best. His range is unbelievable. He's so, he's so good on the show. And you know what's unfair about it? Is that he's so good that people don't realize that Woody Harrelson's turning in the performance of his life on that show. Woody's had a great career, too. He's had a great career. This is the best thing he's had. First of all, this show is so insane. Because all eight episodes written by the same guy. All eight episodes directed by the same director. Like, what can you think of another television project that has that focus of creative vision? Uh, Babylon 5, J. Michael Straczynski had multiple seasons that he wrote the entire season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, we're talking at a different scale. I mean, in the last season, it was like, for kicks, Neil Gaiman can write an episode. Sure, sure. But, I mean, he wrote the entire season of multiple seasons. Yeah. Um, different directors, I'm not sure. I think he, for a while, he probably like gave his cast the opportunity to you know a lot of time you have a long time yeah. cast and they want to direct an episode yeah. what's shocking to me is in house of cards this year you know like robin wright directed an episode yeah, yeah, yeah. jody Fox- yeah, foster yeah. i binged that in like one day it was yeah we, so we did good. we did too are you, uh, you watch the british version yet i haven't i'm gonna watch it like, i tried I, I, I tried watching the first season and it was a little i immediately after watching house of cards yeah. American version. It's exactly what I did. And it was kind of like a little like, it came right. out in 1990. If you're watching in 1990, well, I was in the eighth grade in yeah, 1990, so like, maybe it was like I would have had a different... Yeah, I, I'm going to watch it at some point, but... L.A. Law was the best thing on television when this was a contemporary. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you the scale is completely different. By the way, Robin Wright, her performance in House of Cards is, I think, one of the greatest performances by... Uh, Female actor, like I think it's just I think her character is one of the great so, female characters. I, I would of all say time. two things about Robin Wright and, and House of Cards that I've been talking about my wife about. Number one, I actually prefer Robin Wright in terms of how beautiful she is. This incarnation of Robin Wright to like Princess Bride. Sure, she's like twenty five years older. Sure, right? yeah, I actually yeah. think she's much more I, beautiful. I'm totally with you. Uh, that's one, and the second thing is, uh, my wife and I were talking about like. The politic of the House of Cards character, she's like, well, you watch House of Cards, you know they're bad. And I'm like, I'm actually cheering for them. Well, you're, 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 first of all, Canada and everywhere else. Mike is a weird... I also cheer for Don Draper. A weird, all, yeah, all yeah we, we've had several off the podcast, like, hour-long, freezing-in-the-cold arguments about whether or not Don Draper is, is the hero. hero of Mad Or Man. the villain of Mad Men. Or just, or, 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 or a tragic figure. He's clearly the hero. He's the paragon of the show. He, he's a miserable human being, trying desperately to be a good person, but failing at to every me, turn. These these shows. This are, this season, maybe he'll have a chance to redeem himself. I'm pretty sure he's the guy going off the side of the building. Credits, <laughs> but to me, both of the shows are about the rise of great men and no. what you have to do. No, in order the show to is be a the show man. is not. The show is about both the, shows are about the this. show. Mad Men is about the demise of the kind of blithely powerful white male. My wife thinks that both shows are about how powerful women are slash women have become, and how unnecessary almost men are to processes despite the near. The, the the I believe it was the fourth episode this season. The fourth episode was like stunning to me. The one where she goes on the TV. It was the one with the the like the fake ricin or whatever. The fake yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know which one I was yeah, like. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to spoil too much. Yeah, it was the best episode of the season in my opinion. It was super good. I think that's when Jodie Foster directed. Maybe I don't remember. Um, but she's like this episode is just about how powerful women are. And I watched it twice before I watched the next one. I thought it was fantastic. Um, and I think it's it's interesting, right? Because this is a story about a man taking really incredible yeah. political action, and obviously, um, 
Yeah, but I don't know how you can look at Mad Men and see that as a show. Well, don't say you don't know how I can look at it. It's clear that I've looked at it this way. But I, I don't understand it. That you, you see that as like, like Don Draper and his, he's like a dinosaur. Don Draper's my hero. Don Draper is a dinosaur with snowflakes, cris- like crusting on his back. I think that Don Draper is a guy who's better at what he does than anybody else on the planet, and he's no longer challenged. And that his the greatest problem that he has is that he's slain all of the dragons that are in front of him. And when that happens, super talented people fall into procrastination. I actually think that that is Don Draper's problem. That if you put a legitimate enemy in front of him, then he would have somebody to kill, and he would do something impressive for you. But that the problem is, look at early Don Draper. He's doing amazing things every single episode, right? But he's, he's at the top of the world. This, at the, the show at this while, point... While betraying his marriage. He's bad at relationships with women. I will okay. be the first person to admit that. Right? And he's bad at professional relationships. He's great at professional relationships. He's bad at friendship. He's great at professional relationships, and I don't know why you think that he's bad at friendship. Well, he doesn't have any friends. He has friends. Who are his friends? Roger Sterling. Roger Sterling is not his friend. Roger Sterling's his rival. Peggy. Peggy is not his friend. He's done nothing... He, he, he's done nothing but try to make himself feel better by, like, pushing her forward. I have a shockingly different uh, reading of the... Of he's, the done no, he's, done, he's, done, he's done nothing but make her feel guilty about giving her a fair shot. I don't know, I have Peggy in my life, and I think that we have a very similar relationship to Don and Peggy. We actually... Well, I feel bad for... I would feel... I feel really bad for her then, because... Well, she, I th- she thinks the world of me, and... Sure. Uh, and Peggy we, thinks the, thought the world of Don, and Don abused that relationship. We fight a lot, but you know, I think she realizes that her best shot at some of the things that she wants in her life, you know, will come by glorifying my name. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. Uh, is it? Yes. I, I, I've gotten a lot of notoriety over over time glorifying John's name, right? Mm. Sure. Both of us would chuckle about that, right? And I, mean, I don't mean that in, in terms of like, oh, I'm so much greater than she is. I mean, she, she understands that facilitating things that are of our mutual interest that I will take credit for actually sure. is good for her. As opposed to what? Not having an opportunity at all? I mean, if she, is, if she should have that opportunity based on merit, well, right? what should? People don't get things just based on merit. They get things because of a combination. Think of all the great things you've had in your life recently, right? Part of it's on merit, and most of it's on contacts you've made over the course of the years, right? That's, I would say it's both. Well, I just said part of it's on yeah, merit, yeah. and most of it is based on contacts you've made over the years, right? Contact yeah, is a combination but, of merit and friendliness. Are, sure, and, contacts, are, contacts are merit, right? Like people aren't going to work with you if they, don't want, if they don't want to work with you. Are they? I think that... I think, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm not like, taking a, yeah. an iota of merit away from you. I'm just saying that, like... Contacts and merit are two different things, right? I mean, you might have gotten the contacts at some point because people thought you were doing interesting work, but like the contact remains whether or not you were doing the particular thing that you met that person. Sure, but whether or not the contact's a viable contact has to do with merit. Um, Generally, I think that there are possible readings that go in all sure. directions. All I'm saying is that Don. contacts and merit are two different things. I would say Don Draper is a flawed and tragic human being. And we're all flawed and tragic human beings. Like, I'm incredibly flawed. Everyone's flawed. Well, obviously you're flawed if you identify with Don Draper. Draper. I love Don Draper. The reason I like these characters, the reason I like Don Draper, the reason I like Frank Underwood, well, they're different, obviously. So Frank Underwood is... A terrible human being. A villain by many measures, right? 
Um, I don't think Don is a villain. Some people do. Um, Osa told me I was crazy and that Don's a monster. Don is probably a monster. I think Don is at worst an anti-hero. And I think that Don... Actually, actually Wiener, Wiener has said pretty explicitly that he hates when people refer to him as an anti-hero. Yeah, but I mean, like, what's the name of the guy who, like, Breaking Bad, who uh, made Breaking Bad? Vince Gilligan. Vince Gilligan said, like, he also hates when people identify with, with, uh, um, with Mike Cranston's character, right? Walter White. How can you not identify with him? I think Walter White's a great character, too. Really? Yeah. He's another pretty terrible human being. All these characters are people who want to get to a certain place and take particular journeys. And are willing to sacrifice. Are things. emotionally bankrupt people. They're not emotionally. They're emotional. No, Walter they White is one thing. Walter White another. is emotionally bankrupt. Walter White is emotionally bankrupt. Don Draper is kind of worse because I think he's actually has this. I think one of the the great tragedies of Don is that there's this great emotional reservoir within him that he keeps himself away from because of. You know, because of his childhood and because of his life. I think there's... And because he completely reinvented himself. And as a result, has not allowed anyone to ever get close to him. Including the people he has sex with, the people he works with, and the people he drinks with. I think there are writing perspectives over this, right? Sure. You once said to me when I... I don't remember who it was. I think it was... um, uh, uh, It's that artist who none of us like, but he always gets work. Uh, I mean... You know Scott Collins? I really don't like him. Derek. Everyone's hairy. He's like, he he did boys. Uh, wasn't it the boys? Oh, I don't know. Garth Anderson, Derek. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. The guy, he did, um, he did Transmetropolitan? He did, yeah. Yeah, I like I, his stuff. I don't like his stuff. Oh, I like his stuff. But him and Eric Larson gave me a critique of 2003 during Comic Book Title. And I mean, I took it however I took it right. Um, uh, and you said, you know, there's this myth about, about like, the talented artist, and then there's this different myth about, like, the objective reviewer slash editor, when the reality is probably there's just this bitter editor who can't... I said this? Yeah. Who can't <laughs> accomplish the thing that he's criticizing somebody, sure. somebody over, right? Can this now sound like something... That, sure, sure. I can imagine uh, who I was talking about anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right? So I was like... I mean, Eric Larson gave me, like, this ginormous dressing down, and... I was honestly thinking to myself, like, I know you're a millionaire, but I draw better than you. (laughs) (laughs) Literally what I'm thinking, like, I got, my wife's like, oh, that guy gave him, gave you a dressing gown, can can you show me some of his art? And she was just like, people buy this? I I know you love Savage Dragon. I love Eric Larson's Savage Dragon. It is just unrepentant, (laughs) 1980s, like... Avengers level superhero comics. Everybody's hands are bigger than. I don't hands. care. I love it. I love the style of it. I love the energy of it. I'm not criticizing. I don't think it's. I. I. I wouldn't compare it to you know, uh, you know, Burn Hogarth's Anatomy or anything. Right, so nobody is saying that you have to be photorealistic. Yeah. In your illustration to be a good artist. Yeah. I'm just saying that Derek, what's his name, isn't a good Derek Robertson. Yeah. I just really despise his art. Yeah. Everybody's hairy and like his anatomy's like all weird. Yeah. And like I don't know. Anyway, that's that's beside the point. You said this to me. So yeah. You, yeah. Forget. The real thing is that there's this editor or there's this critic who just can't actually accomplish the thing that he's trying to criticize. Sure. Okay. And yeah, I didn't, didn't even feel. Right. It. In fact, they've probably spent their entire life trying to crystallize what they can and can't do, 
And then as a result, that's driven them down that road of criticism. Yeah. So, um, so what I would just say is that, let's say that that kind of a re reviewer slash editor is an archetype. Yeah. I think that the writers who are behind this pure speculation on my part, but from a lens of speaking to you repeatedly, uh, behind Breaking Bad, Mad Men, and maybe House of Cards, probably all have this idea about the villain slash anti-hero slash protagonist, maybe, of the shows that they're writing, and they're like, this is a path that someone can take to greatness. The path, and we're trying to, we're trying to show this path in a way that's just like, the sacrifices necessary to get to this point are not attractive. But but I think I see. I don't think. But I, I don't think, think everybody has to read it that way, and those people can't. Don't, those people don't have to be wrong. Their perspective on the thing is true for them. It's just fascinating to me. That, I mean, I, it's like people who identify with Tony Soprano as a hero, right? It's like I also it's, identify with Tony Soprano as a hero. Yeah, you're talking about. He's relatively speaking the pool of people that you could pick to root for, right? Is Tony Soprano or some other horrible person, right? He's substantially less horrible than other people you could pick. There's nobody to cheer for who's a legitimate person in this pool. You're not supposed to cheer for them. For anybody? Not necessarily. You're watching the show. You're engaged to some degree with the characters in the show. Sure. But I think, I think it's sometimes it's, it's... Look, like you're, you're talking about like the path to greatness. And it's like, why is it a path to greatness? Why isn't it a, the, the choices someone makes to... The, just the path someone should. Why is, why is it like this is the cost of greatness? Maybe this maybe this is. It certainly costs greatness for some people. Sure. But so I, I would say this. All right. Um, if you instead choose to live like a life that is substantially less magnified than like the science Walter like, White or Frank Underwood, right? But you'd never have to kill anybody, and you also never get to be a quadrillionaire slash a super high level politician. And you live a happy life, and you contribute in whatever way is meaningful to you. Then I think that's great too. You mean my life? Sure. Okay. I mean that's. I mean that's yeah, no, no. So the that, life I aspire to. I think that that's great too. Sure. Okay. And that's not necessarily the life that's going to be that's going to be in one of these tremendous sure, dramas. But if you're going to put yourself into the situation, you're like, I'm going to watch this thing, and. Um, and be engaged in this, you know, uh, that you, I think that you have to willingly step into the universe that this, that this exists in, in order to have a rapport with the trials and tribulations of the characters, etc. Right. right? And then, you know. But so, so to me, just going back yeah. to Mad Men, and minor spoiler, if you're just watching Mad Men, you might want to just stop listening. But like. But you won't. Yeah, obviously. But I think, like, the the hero of, like, certainly later in the show, or the person that you want to aspire to, is Draper's second wife. Are you kidding? Yeah. I think we should take this one offline. This is... What? This is Draper's second wife is definitely... I, I vastly disagree. You're going to pick she's somebody... A, she's... Is, do you think she's a bad person? I don't think so at all, and I also don't think Draper's a bad person, so I certainly wouldn't okay. think she's a bad person. But I would pick Peggy or Joan before her. In a I, like, I like Peggy, Joan, and her. I used to... Th Vincent Carter... I mean, Peggy, Joan, and her are also, like, very much... Three four, diametrically... And three, four, three different... Well, I mean, and, and, and when you throw... Uh, 
Bets in. When you throw bets in, you get like four female archetypes. Right? You get like sort of. I the love bets and I can't stand her. I, I I hate her. Yeah, I hate her. I love her and can't stand her. I hate her. But like, I mean, Vincent Carthizer's character is that how you say it yeah. correctly? Yeah. He's a Peter stone King. villain in the early parts of the show, I think, and now I think he's just pathetic. Yes, I agree. I agree. Oh yeah. Also, his hairline. For the love of God, how is that real? I don't know. I mean, uh. Who is it? Who's the guy who got shot in the face? I see. I think he's also. He's, I'm saying, like, I think he could be legit here. Everyone I do. I do. I do. Yeah. I, I feel bad for him. You he's know, shot in like, the face. He went out and shot in the face, but I think also he's like, by all accounts, a very talented science fiction writer. But yeah. So what I'm saying is that his life is engaged in a way that lots of other people on the show are envious of. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. They yeah. couldn't do the thing that he can do. Right. But materially speaking, he's substantially less successful than them, and. I don't know if it really matters, because he's still quite well off, as far as I can tell, sure. right? They're all marrying <laughs> these women who have rich fathers. Cy- Cylons of New York. Yeah, like, as far as I can tell, they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm an ad man, and I make $25,000 a year. I don't know, whatever they're making yeah. in 1968. And then, but they're like, oh, but, you know, my wife is a Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's, um, I... I I, I was thinking, like, maybe maybe that guy could, could be somebody... That's exactly what I was thinking about when we were talking about that. Ken guy. Cosgrove. Ken Cosgrove. There you go. Perfect. So, uh... Yeah, I, in I, fact, I he's love like... Don. I think he's the greatest. <sighs> Just... St- he's in my... Uh, the, the thing I've always said about Don... I mean, this is early. The first two seasons right. of Man I'm talking about now. Obviously, there have been many seasons since. I was just like, really kind of hold Don as a hero, other than the fact that he's rampantly unfaithful slash destructive with his his uh his relationships with at least some women i personally think his relationship with his relationship with peggy is a classic relationship of intense emotions right i think i once said to you probably 10 years ago that i had no strong emotions from anybody but you you have a you have a relationship where their relationship is really really emotional and i think that it's tough to have a relationship that's like one-dimensionally really really emotional like no one has pure passion or pure love or whatever. Like even your your life partner or your wife, or whatever. Like you have good days and bad. You know, you're like half the fun is fixing things that are broken, sure. right? And him and Peggy, when he needs help, Peggy's the one that he goes to. When Peggy needs help, Don is there. I think that you can't minimize the fact that when Peggy's at her lowest points, Don is the one that's propping her up. He's not a one dimensional monster. He's incredibly no, he's a, moral. He's a, no, he's a multidimensional he monster. He is incredibly moral in ways that in 1960-whatever, nobody else is. I agree. I, I, I agree that he does some stuff in terms of, like, oh, you're gay, I don't care. Or yeah, you're and, a woman, or you're black, or... And he doesn't... He's, like, so egalitarian in those ways, right? right. And the other thing... The, the thing is, when Don wages war, Don wages war in a particular way that is appropriate to the person he's waging war against. He doesn't play dirty. But the, I, I don't know. I, for me, I think that like, I think I understand Don in, in a way that some people don't. Maybe I'm completely deluded on that end. Um, maybe his creator doesn't even understand him. Sure. Don Draper's a real person, right? Like he's based on a real person. But all the things that I've read was remarkably interesting. Uh, I, interesting's fine. It doesn't, you know. Like, he had his Peggy or whatever, and he's just like, oh, we're going to get... And she's, like, rising up through business ranks. He's like, one day, he's like, we're just going to get married. And she's like... And, and he, like, has to do something like produce, like, 
five thousand dollars and one dollar bills or something and hand them to her <laughs> and he just does it like she's like eh, i guess i'll marry you and, and like that they're, they're they're remarkably nuanced they're not just bad you think walter white's just bad no i think Walt. i think he's just uh yeah i think i think he's just weak and shitty yeah, I, I don't think, think he's weak. I think that he yeah, is, he is. He's emotionally weak. He's he's intellectually very strong and gets stuff done, but he's emotionally a failure. He's an emotional failure. I think that he's he's fucked up his life at every turn. I think that he believed his own press. I actually think that that's his flaw. Yeah, no, I think I I actually I actually just hate Walter White. Really? Yeah, I hate him. I hate I hate his snivelingness. I hate his. What you, who's he sniveling to? His wife. Like uh, he's just like he's just a sniveling he's liar. He's like Batman. He's just putting. He's on just a, a face sniveling liar. No, he's not putting on a face. He's not that. He's not that strong. He doesn't even know. He just he's just made a series of bad decisions that have just moved him further and further away from like any kind of like thing that he really wanted to preserve. I think that Walter picked a plan to get to somewhere and that the plan became more important than the outcome to him. Sure. And I think that that's a flaw. That's a flaw for a magic player as well. Sure. Right? But, uh, just yeah. bring it back to some magic again, world. I think like, you know, uh, being in the empire business is, is interesting to me. Um, you know, like, empire business, you know, that's, it's a good line. Wish I could be in the business. I don't know how you get there other than by murdering tons of your rivals. Oh, well, don't you want to be happy? Like, I'm pretty happy. Do you? I mean, but I can... I, I, I mean, there's, there's like a... Do you think you can be, happy? Of number of things you think I think you can be happy in the Empire business? I don't know. I've never been in the Empire yeah, business. I don't think so. I, I, I don't want you to get... I, think you I don't have get, enough energy for the things I I think once you go down the road of some kind of, like, score-based method of life, like... How much money do I have? Do I have enough? Well, there's never enough. I always want more money. I always want more. There's enough. There's enough, and then there's an, then there's, you have to. There's leveling up is different from having enough. Sure, right? sure. But at some point, like, like I think I, I do feel like that when people go down the road of just like score, like scoreboard watching yeah. in their lives, that like you're bypassing other things that are just really meaningful. No, and well, actually, I would I would put it a little bit differently. I don't think we're disagreeing with each other. Yeah, I think if you don't. If you don't make the decision to try to maximize your wealth on a consistent basis, then it's your obligation to yourself and the people that you have relationships with to always choose the path that will give you that will give you the opportunities to share your time with with uh, the people that you love and in sure. self engaging ways. Okay, when you I think that that is a very very viable way to live your life that is not trying to maximize things in school. Sure, sure. However, what I think is a huge mistake that will yield happiness never is people who are both like incredulous and they're like, oh, you can't live your life in a score-based way, blah, 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 greedy, blah, 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 1%, whatever people want to complain about, and then instead choose to spend their time, you know, degenerately drinking, playing video games by themselves in their basement, etc., and not engaging in the things sure. that would make you happy. And that that is definitely not a like, but that's a choice that you're making, and sure. a choice you're making continually. Sure, you can live that life, but you, I don't think you can both live that life and and 
and then look down on somebody who's who's right. who's choosing the other thing because their their utility is way higher than that than, than that and it's sure you 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 can't pick the path of least utility <laughs> and then like have a moral superiority over somebody who's uh, sure. It's not even a moral superiority. I just I, I, you know you understand what yeah, I'm talking I, about. I, there's I, people who are like on this range. They're like, just, oh, you can't live this way. This is I, horrible. By the way, I'm just going to go blow all my I, my only resource. I that's just precious never. In life is time. I just never want to be a point in my life where I'm worrying about maximizing my utility. Like you're always maximizing. You're you're always worried about maximizing your utility. You just use different words for it. Sure. Every single person picks the best path that they have based on the tools that they have at hand at all times. Usually when they pick a bad path, they had insufficient tools or insufficient understanding of the situation they were. That's that's what I think. Sure. I think that people go through life either thinking about life in this very conceptual way, which involves things like thinking about utility and sufficient tools, or they go about their life in a very emotional way, where they think about what matters to them, what's going to make them happy, how they can sort of fulfill themselves each and every day and sort of grow themselves as human beings. What if you could just produce the emotions that you want to have on demand, and then you can spend the rest of your time acting logically? Well, I mean, if you're going to, you know, if you're just going to Vince Gilligan in your life, that's fine. Why is that Vince Gilligan? I don't know. I just picked the first writer I could think of. Um, Because that's the way I want to live. I want to be like, well, these are the emotions I want to experience. What criteria do I have to fulfill in order to experience these emotions? <laughs> so, and then I can... so what you're saying is conceptually approach the emotional path. Yeah. But that, that, like, <laughs> if I can just pick when I want to have the emotions that I want, sure. then I can spend the rest of my time maximizing my utility. Isn't that awesome? Um, sure. There's like, I gotta go drink. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta go burn your only I gotta go. I gotta go burn some resources. Yeah, Alright, so um, we spent the last uh, one hour and 32 minutes we talked about an hour about magic. Glorifying Brian's name. <laughs> uh, PTQ, what are you going to play? Uh, I mean, if I can go, I think I'll play Black. But I have almost all the cards. What about, I think the, I have, what about the modern PTQs? Modern PTQs? Uh, Pick a deck. Uh, Tamravera's deck, Blue, White, Red. Uh, blue, like, White, Red twin? Yeah. I mean, like, I think you get a lot of the ups of regular Blue, White, Red, and if your opponent ever makes a mistake, he's dead. I, I just... So if Blue White Red's good against against Pod, for example, right? Yeah. Aren't you just playing their game or it's like, ah, I'm just gonna play your game for why, a while. They tap out, you kill them. Why do you like Blue White Red better than the green the green, the rug version? Um it has more lands. Sure. What if you I mean what if you built the rug version with more well, lands? Well, so it has more yeah. well that you wouldn't want to, right? Because yeah. Restoration Angel costs four and Tarmogoyf costs two. Right. But the only way that a good player ever loses to a bad player is by having a tap Tarmogoyf in his in, in the red zone. So yeah. I would never want to pick that path. Yeah. You know that's my rule, right? If you ever see a good player lose to a bad player in, on camera, he has a tab Tarmogoyf in the, in the red zone. <laughs> Have you ever heard me say this before? No. Now no. you're looking back at every time that there was Tarmogoyfs available in a format, and you, every time a, a, a good player lost to a bad player, you're like, shit, you had a Tarmogoyf tab in the red zone. Now you're... This, okay. I can see it. You, you watch hundreds of matches of Magic, sure, right? yes. You, you know what I'm saying is true now, don't you? I know there's some truth to it. <laughs> so... I never want to be. I never want to have a tap Tarmogoyf in, in the red zone if I can pick something else to do. Okay. Usually, when I play a tap Tarmogoyf, it's because I've given up. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I can't outsmart this format. Hand me a deck, rabbits. That's the sure. Now he lives in freaking Seattle. Yeah, can't. I was. I didn't. I haven't listened to the green and red. How was that? I will just sum it up this way. Yeah. At one point, Taya and I have an argument over whether Summoning Trap is a good card or not. She's just like, you just don't know about magic cards. It's not a good card. 
But two days later, I get this, I get a text. She's like, all right, you win. I'm like, why? And she pastes me a link to Twitter. And it's like, um, Luis Scott Vargas saying the best play is always somebody casts an eternal witness. Mahara. Mahara casts an eternal witness. It gets rebanded. <laughs> summoning traps. <laughs> eternal witness gets back to summoning traps. Summoning traps. A Kiki Jiki restoration angel kill on the second turn, right? She's like, uh, she. <laughs> She's like, all right, you win. So I, I text her back, and I'm like, I'm like, like the player who had the summoning trap, I am victorious. <laughs> the summoning trap seems good, right? Yeah. Well, I was actually thinking... How did summoning trap come up in green-red set review? How could it not? <laughs> you know, we were just, like, talking about... <laughs> no. <laughs> we just also went into gold, I think, at some point. Just just talked about cards we already talked about. Guys, my eyes. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. So we're the three of us were doing it, and then like Taya's like sitting to my right, Josh. Sitting were you, to my were you, oh, you're doing it live while you were we're doing it live when I was in Seattle in a coffee shop. So there's like a soundtrack playing behind us, and the thing is like constantly I'm like Taya doesn't get this, the pod, the the podcast format because she's like nodding or like making handshakes, and I'm like Taya, you have to say what you, what your opinion is. And she's like, well, my opinion is you and Summoning Trap are awful. <laughs> But it was, it, was, it was fun times. Um, I think it was a pretty fun cast. Uh, yeah. But the only comment said, I uh, await the return of Brian and Mike. So. Well, there you go. We're back. Um, Arguing about Don Draper I and whether or not he is Thanos. I can't believe we didn't have a backup on this one. <laughs> I'm all right, afraid. All right, all right, hold on. All right. All right. So we're going to sign off and we're going to make sure that hopefully this doesn't get erased. If you're listening to this, it didn't get erased. Uh, Brian it's David Marshall. Button, not that button. Well, we can do both buttons. But all right, let's do this.